0: Marketing requires experimentation, but you need solid ideas to base your experiments on. I'm Laura McPherson, an on-demand content strategist and writer working with SaaS marketing teams across the US. In this podcast, I interview successful SaaS marketers who share the strategies and tactics that are working for them right now. We get specific and actionable. So you can get inspired and use their ideas in your own marketing. Here's what's working now. Welcome to episode six of what's working now. Today we're talking about thought leadership and ranking content in the search engines. We all know on some level that ranking content is not enough to land new customers. The search engine results are packed with competitors' content, and to get their attention and convince them to ultimately request your demo over your competitors, you must stand out and give them a reason to dive in further. To do this, your content needs to demonstrate thought leadership and a compelling point of view. Today, I have Julian Alvarado joining us, who is the Senior Manager of Content Marketing at Sigma, which is a data analytics software. All right, Julian, thanks so much for making time to chat today. Of
1: course, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to hear from you. Um, So to start, could you share uh, Sigma's elevator pitch a little bit about the company?
1: Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, So Sigma is a next generation analytics and business intelligence solution. So, you know, basically our spiel is that we allow anybody, regardless of their level of technical expertise, you know, kind of securely explore data at the power, speed, and scalability of the cloud. Um, For folks that, you know, kind of out there that were like me when I was first uh, looking up the company and, you know, you may not really know what that means, um you know it's basically saying you know anybody that can do a simple analysis in excel um you know you're doing a market basket analysis for example right uh, i don't know if you're like me but you know when i've done it in the past it, it crashes right when it's larger than a few mm-hmm. thousand rows now you know when we're talking about leveraging the cloud we're talking about you know the ability to analyze data sets in the scale of like hundreds of you know billions of rows all in real time, seamlessly, and that's without having to write, you know, SQL or another, you know, programming language. Um, it's a really elegant and powerful tool, and super intuitive for anybody that's that's ever worked in a spreadsheet.
0: Your key value proposition is the democratization of data an- analytics, and um, I know that that is a point of view that you guys uh, really take is you know, allowing non-technical users to do this um, analysis. So, uh, yeah, just talk a little bit more about um, why you guys are so passionate about enabling non-technical users to do, you know, deep dives into data and, you know, find their own answers.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I always kind of laugh when I hear the term democratization of anything, right? It's such a Silicon Valley term. It's just ubiquitous here.
0: <laughs> this is true.
1: But, um, you know, I, I, and it's funny because I, you know, I'm originally from the Midwest and one of my early, man, earliest managers told me to avoid <laughs> that kind of language. But, you know, in the case of Sigma, we really are doing that. Um, you know, another interesting way I like to kind of think about it is the whole idea of decentralizing data exploration. You know, granted that's also super valley, but um, let me let me explain a little bit. So, you know, at a, at a very high level in today's world. Getting data isn't the problem, right? It's coming from everywhere, from applications, wearable devices, like everything we do uh, is taking data, right? Um, and you know, it's kind of that point. Like marketers, for example, you know, I think we have like over eight thousand tools collecting all that data. It's insane, mm. you know. Um, and kind of to that point, right? Every organization. Aims to be, you know, "quote unquote" data driven. Um, if you've ever seen Zoolander, I kind of think of like Mugatu when he's, and then like the whole, you know, big data is so hot right now. But <laughs> you know, like I, I digress. But really, over the last few decades, um, you know, as data and the infrastructure that it kind of collects it has grown, um, so have the evolution of these, you know, dedicated uh, business intelligence tools. Um, and, you know, the whole point is that we're trying to use it to power decision-making to drive business forward. But with all that said, you know, a simple question comes, right? How data-driven can a company be if your house is kind of divided into two factions? One, with those that have direct access to data, and that's going to be your, you know, obviously your data BI teams. Um, and then two, you know, those who are kind of held at an arm's distance away from that data. And that's going to be your business domain experts, you know, the folks responsible for generating revenue. So, you know, in a traditional like BI kind of landscape, right, you have, um, you know, your data and BI teams, they are the technical experts who know how to write all these SQL queries. Um, And, you know, just because they're safeguarding all this data, um, you know, and business experts need you know, to basically go through them to get their, their questions answered. Um, you know, long queues. There's a lot of like back and forth trying to get to get to answers to those questions. Right. And it just leads to you know a lot of frustration uh, on mm-hmm. both teams. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's just trying to do their job. Right. The data team, like they're not bad guys. They're trying to, you know, keep the company safe um, right. from, from regulatory and compliance issues. And, you know, the, the business teams just want to, to do their jobs and be able to make agile decisions, right? In order to compete. Um, So, you know, like I said, it creates a lot of friction. And, you know, that's kind of what Sigma exists to remove, right? We look at ourselves as a fundamental shift in uh, business intelligence. So, you know, while a lot of other BI tools fail to kind of extend on that ability to access, explore, kind of analyze data to the full organization, you know, we take an alternate approach. Uh, we want to empower everybody, um, you know, regardless of kind of what I was saying at the top of your technical abilities, I don't care if you can code, um, if you've worked in a spreadsheet before, you can mm-hmm. work in stigma and you can freely interact with the data and generate your own insights. So, you know, another way to say it is like you're in data exploration mode. Uh, every action that you take kind of gives you immediate feedback so you can iterate and go deeper and tap into your curiosity, really performing those like what if analyses and going down that rabbit hole to kind of uh, not even the kind of to discover, you know, a novel insight that may power your business. So and, you know, at the end of the day, I like to think about it, like the reason why it's important is because when everybody, when data is democratized, right. Um, companies get more value out of their infrastructure, you know, infrastructural investments, right. They invest in these cloud data warehouses to store all their data, um, and all these expensive BI tools and stuff like that. right? Um, but it's not only getting more value out of that, it's also getting more value out of their employees, right? Um, mm. Because when everybody can has access to data, they can work together and and really unlock the true value of the data. Um, right. And, you know, on the flip side, it's great because employees are going to get more value out of their work, right? Because they can leverage their expertise to do their jobs effectively. And, you know, who doesn't like to to, to be on a roll? So, mm. you know. Let's just, at the end of the day, right? No one, let's just be honest. Like, no one likes waiting for anything, right? I live in San Francisco. It's a, it's a <laughs> yes, city that's. <and> <laughs> right. And I mean, even here, it's just, you know, a stupid example, but like, we're a city notorious for people waiting outside in like two hour lines for a sandwich. But why would I wait two hours in line for this like gourmet, expensive sandwich if I can do it myself at home? Well, I mean, Grand Oak, okay, that's, that's probably not the best analogy, but it's close to lunchtime. I'm hungry.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and, you know, I bake, I love to cook. And more importantly, I hate waiting. I want the answers now, and I want to be able to um, kind of go deeper and and do it on my own. So that's why it's, for us it's super important um, to to like you said democratize data.
0: Awesome, yeah, and I love how you know with nearly every piece of your content, that message comes through very clearly but but additionally, you have other specific points of view um, and thought leadership on each of the subtopics that you cover um, as well. So could you share a little bit about how your team um, went about identifying, you know, exactly what Sigma stands for and what stances to take on the variety of different issues?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I think when it comes to thought leadership, you know, everybody thinks there's kind of this like secret sauce and, you know, at the highest level, I I don't know if I'd say there is right. Uh, It kind of comes down to knowing your space and, Uh, keeping your ear to the ground for emerging trends. Ah, Well, I actually know what I lie. Um, The first secret is actually kind of working or not actually kind of, but working with people that are far smarter than you. And at Sigma um, and my team specifically, you know, I've been very fortunate one, our leadership um, and two, you know, our marketing team when I joined was super small. I think, you know, maybe six people, eight people. Now we're Mm -hmm. 15. They were lean. Um, They were small, but they were mighty, you know? Um, so, you know, my colleagues are the ones that are the data evangelists, right? They're What they say is scripture at that point. And I'm kind of here for the rivalry as much as I can from them. So I guess, you know, kind of getting to your question, uh, you know, when it comes to thought leadership, really thought leadership and identifying, you know, one, our unique perspective, and then two, you know, these subtopics to pursue, um, you know, we, and again, I use that term liberally, or yeah, because, you know, it's mostly my colleagues that are doing it. Um, We'll usually start with a brainstorming session, right? Uh, And with that, we'll come along with, you know, research on topics certain folks think are worth pursuing. Uh, You know, that could be, or that kind of stuff can include customer data, anecdotes, you know, going out to seeing a Medium post or, you know, a TED Mm -hmm. Talk presentation, you know, anything really. No stone goes unturned. and, you know, at, at that point, you know, we kind of have a giant whiteboard or, you know, in the world of COVID, everybody's working from home. It's like a virtual whiteboard. Right. Um, and then, you know, we, we have our, our base goals and success metrics and kind of just see which topics has the potential to meet those. Right. Um, at the end of the day, we understand that, you know, well, we can't tackle every single one of those topics. Right. Because it's, one, it's too much for the public to absorb at the same time. Uh, two, and I think this is actually the critical thing is that in order for something to be sticky, uh, you know, that message that, that, that point of view, you know, has to be repeated over and over again, you know, almost almost to the point of where you're kind of sick of hearing yourself say it again. right? Right. Right. It takes time to kind of own these terms, right. It takes time for an idea to take hold, to, 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 to gain traction. Um, and, you know, and this kind of requires that we take a deep dive, you know, into no more than, you know one topic per quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that said, you know, we continually build on the previous quarter's work um, as we shift our focus to that new topic. So, you know, for example, let's say, you know, we're we're, we're, we're the BI solution for the cloud, right? Um, for example, you know, we want to own the term cloud analytics. Um, if we want folks to know us as the cloud analytics solution, then we need to put a deep stake in the ground now while it's still an emerging term. Uh, and, you know, this is kind of a great opportunity for us to consider other BI vendors, ABI vendors um, that claim they are, but really aren't. Um, yeah. And, you know, just, there's there's some, a lot of stuff you can kind of go back and forth there. Um, but I hope that answered your question.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And I, I love your point about, you know, focusing on a few things, picking a few things that you really want to become known for, because that's absolutely right. You know, if you try to tackle too many things at once it it just muddies the the message so that's a exactly. important point. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Can't boil the ocean.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I know that you guys have messaging guides for each of the verticals that you're targeting and I would love to hear how you use those guides in the content creation process.
1: Yeah, you know, um, so this is kind of another thing where I can't really compliment how talented and smart the people I work with are. Um, We're really lucky to have an amazing product marketing team here. um, Mm. That you know, I'm metaphorically close to. You know, they're always they're always helping, and then the messaging guys honestly just starts with them. Um, Granted, you know, as a content marketer, like we're you know, it's a one A and one B kind of thing, but. Um Yeah, so like you know, your basic messaging guys—I'm sure you're, you, you know this. Your listeners know this. A lot of sweat and tears go into creating those.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: whether it be customer research, um, cross-functional collaboration, and you know, which can be its own thing because once you get too many cooks in the kitchen, it kind of uh, become a little problematic. But um, mm-hmm. at, at at its at its core, you know, ours contain are our, you know your basic titles, your, your persona research, right? Um, so I don't know, let's say we're working on retail merchandising, talking titles like merchant operations director, logistics analyst, blah, 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 um, some of our key differentiators. Um, and then, you know, this is, this is the money for us. It's, it's the use cases. Um, and the use cases, you know, they become particularly important for the content creation because, uh, at Sigma, we follow um, the challenger sales model, which basically, at like a super super high level, is you're teaching for differentiation, right? And you're using your knowledge of their business, um, and you're kind of and uh, molding it uh, within your unique perspective, kind of what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, uh, to teach something to teach customers something new about their company, and then obviously show them how you can help them solve their problems with your product.
0: Awesome. So this brings up an interesting point with the, you know, challenger sales, um, model. So, you know, I've read the book, I dove into the, um, I think it was CEB before they got bought and all of that. Um, but I would love to hear, um, how, how you actually use that? Have you, um, you know, do, have you created any kind of documents or materials that show how to apply that to marketing specifically? Um, what do you refer to? Um, if that makes sense?
1: No, no, totally. Um, so to answer your question, no, I haven't, but my manager has, uh, she's, she's a rock star. Um, and basically what we've done is we've mapped, um, we, we well, let me take it a step back. So the challenger sales model, obviously, it's designed for selling. But at the end of the day, like marketing is selling too. So right. we, it's it's my manager kind of broken it down into a funnel view, right? Um, of how we're leading people. So like at the f- top stage, right? We, we're initially teaching at top of funnel. We're teaching for differentiation, right? We're using a unique um, problem that the customer has and trying to. Um, you know, develop some content that addresses it. And then as we go, you know, deeper and deeper in the funnel, um, we're getting a little bit more salesy. And then finally we're, we're at the bottom. That's when we're ready to make our pitch. Um, when it comes to mapping, we, we, we've, what is it? Is that think Maslow's hierarchy? Um, Mm -hmm. we, we, so we map a lot of our content there, um, as well. Um, so it's, it's not as, um, not as 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 strict um, um, usage, I guess, in the way that you were describing, but um, we 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 have definitely um, systematized it to where it's become so smart. right and exactly right. So it's just it's it's not like documented anywhere, but it's just the way that you know content development occurs at Sigma just inherently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. And I love that you bring oh. up you know Maslow. I mean, yeah. because psychology is such an important part of it as well. Oh,
1: yeah,
0: definitely, definitely. So talk to me about keyword research. Where does keyword research come into the process um, when you're developing content? And um, additionally, can you share how how you identify the intersection of ranking opportunities with um, what your prospects are actually looking to read about?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, keyword research is, is a fun one. So, you know, when it comes to like your top of the funnel and mount acquisition, you know, content people, marketing people we're always at the mercy of Google. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. wild to even imagine that like a simple search engine spawned an entire profession and industry. But I digress. Um, you know, <laughs> so for us, right, like that means that any of our SEO optimization, any of our SEO driven content development um, is at the center of, you know, our content strategy. Um, at least at the top of the funnel, <laughs> excuse me. So, um, when it comes to the conducting the research part, right? Like it's a bit of an art because, you know, there's definitely a balance between finding keywords, um, with a high search value and, you know, those with the lower ones, but, you know, you really need to find that Goldilocks zone. It can't be too high or you'll never rank and it can't be so low right. that people aren't searching it. Um, at the same time, you really need to find a term that, you know, has like a good chance of, uh. That you can develop content better than the other guy, right? It has to be relevant to your audience and value. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, back in the day, I don't know if uh, folks in the content world are still using mm-hmm. it, but um, I love frameworks, and one that 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 really stuck with me was the skyscraper technique. Yeah. And yeah, so if if you know, it's basically uh, you just inv- it involves finding topics that are kind of doing well um, on search engines as well as social media, and you kind of just reverse engineer. to create a content piece that is better than, you know, let's say the top three that are ranking it, Um, you know, you quote unquote 10 exit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that tactic will also involve like backlinking, and existing posts and and all that kind of jazz. So, um, you know, with all of that being said, uh, the one thing I do want to call out uh, because it's actually tough of mind for me right now is that um, there's 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 a bit of I don't know there's always going to be, but there is a bit of friction that exists between your SEOs and your content teams, right? Yeah, and that's kind of where the art of you know knowing your audience knowing your customer comes into play. Um, so you know, for example, you know I was saying before that keyword research is an art, but now that I'm thinking about it, it might be, a little bit more like architecture, right? It's the marriage of art and science. Uh, Mm -hmm. So kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, knowing your audience um, and how it's relevant for Sigma, the term big data, like capital B, capital D, um, you know, I I think that's a term that we would all assume would be relevant to our industry, right? In the analytics world, everyone's heard of it. Uh, You go in, you have all the, every keyword, every like one that's related to it has super high search volume. But, you know, when you're using that term in relation to uh, uh, business intelligence and analytics, it's kind of a no-no um, that I just learned because of the con- connotations that it has with a fail- mm-hmm. failed period um, of analytics, like the hard op or hardoop um phase. So, you know, basically our team kind of had to go back and and not necessarily ignore, but work with, you know, our SEO uh, to find other terms that would be, you know, accurate, relevant. Um, which is important because we don't want to tarnish our credibility with our audience. Right. Um, So that's kind of where the art and the science come into play.
0: That is, yeah, that's a great point about, you know, starting with the audience um, because it's such a common problem. It's like, Oh, here are all these SEO keywords and, wait, <laughs> right, they're right. either not relevant to what the prospects are looking for or have their prospects use them in different ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially in the um, technical space, you know, there's nuances, yes. nuance is important. It's very yes. important and words matter. So, yeah. you know, I could, I could instantly ruin a deal <laughs> or like, you yeah. know, somebody could easily bounce away from one of our pages if I use the word big data when I really need cloud analytics,
0: you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I would love to hear your advice to other SaaS marketing teams that are looking to do what we've been talking about—infusing thought leadership into their content while ranking for SEO um, and really stand out and attract the prospects that they're looking for.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so for me, and again, you know, my specialty is more of that SEO, like inbound acquisition. Um, For me, like, it's always maintaining consistency in your messaging, your tone of voice, um, the way you speak. That's, like, number one. Easy. Um, And that rings true in, you know, whether it's a blog article, whether it's an evergreen piece of content, um, whatever, whether it's a byline, you know, whatever it is. Um, And then the second thing, and this is more related to thought leadership, the kind of way I like to think about it, is just a simple question, right? Like, how... Are you no, Actually, let me back up. Are you a thought leader if everyone agrees with you, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: if, to that point, um, I would say, you know, kind of what we've been talking about. It's all discover, it's about discovering that unique point of view. How are you right. challenging the status quo? Um, and that's not necessarily to say, like, be controversial for the sake of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just actually thinking about things. So, um, you know, I love to read. And there's this one book called uh, What If We're Wrong? And the author, you know, he's just basically posing questions to things that we, like, just accept as fact, right? So, like, what if we're wrong about our understanding of gravity? Hmm. How certain we are, are we about, you know, the way time works? Like, who? what will be the defining hmm. moment of, you know, I don't know, rock music 500 years from today? Um, you know, you can actually go back. Think of, like, Copernicus. He was, like, an OG thought leader, right? He took the information he had mm-hmm. available to time. Yep. Challenge, comment convention. And then now, you know, it's, you, you know, the rest of the story. Um, it's obviously an extreme example, but you get it.
0: And I love that in combination with what you were talking about, you know, 10 X content. I think so often it's, you know, the easy thing to do is just to, make make a massive piece of content that combines mishmashes everything that already exists but um what i love about what you guys are doing and what you're saying is no you're actually you know coming up with a unique perspective your own ideas and using that framework then to um to communicate and get that to rank so that people find it exactly exactly awesome so is there anything else that you would like to share that I haven't um, asked you about yet?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So, you know, um, I've been in content marketing for almost six years now. Um, and, you know, what I've learned is that it's a game of copycats. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess my advice to people is, you know, kind of what we're talking about just now, right? Like always be thinking about how you can elevate your game, right? Mm-hmm. 10X your competition. Mm-hmm always be on the lookout for new and compelling ways to tell stories. You're right. Like at its core, yeah. like it's not even content marketing. All marketing is storytelling. You know, human beings mm. have been doing this since the dawn of time. Um, you know, if you tell a story, they will come. So, you know, I, I was mentioning my love of frameworks and, you know, when I was starting my career, um, I, I, one of my managers, uh, my mentors, she, she told me about the 3d storytelling framework. Um, it's kind of a similar concept about reverse engineering. Um, Of sorts right so like in it you kind of have your first d and that's where you start the story it's with your desire right um someone has to want something and that kind of provides the context it's the engine that motivates the story it could be a positive outcome it could be a problem to overcome right uh then you introduce the second d right the danger this is the obstacle or the problem right um and you know it's absolutely necessary and like that friction is the most critical part of the story um there has to be conflict. And then finally, you know, you have your drama, right? Right. That's like, you've created the context. Now you're about to introduce the magic sword. Um, this is this thing that overcomes that danger that we just talked about. and kind of helps, you know, the hero, your audience, um, achieve their goals. Right. Uh, who does it matter to? And what, what does this like do to satisfy that need? Um, you know, so at the end of the day, it's just, yeah, storytelling, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, And just getting, you know, your brand um, out there.
0: I really like that. So I think that'll be really useful to people. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic, Julian. Thank you so much for um, taking time and for, you know, sharing your insights. This has been fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: All right, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed everything that Julian had to share. I know I am excited um, to put some of his frameworks into action um, that he shared today. Be sure to visit ideallymarketing marketing slash SAS podcast. That's all lowercase all one word to find show notes and key takeaways from the show. And I will see you next month with another episode.